Let's go in-depth on Hawkeye sports with the Des Moines Register. It's time for Hawk Central, powered by G-MIG's 5th Street Pub on 1460 KXNO. Hawk Central taking off in the 5 o'clock hour. We're going to lead you up to 645. That's when uh, I almost said Iowa Wild Hockey. No Minnesota Wild Hockey. Mm. St. Louis Blues tonight at Wells Fargo Arena here in downtown Des Moines. Chad Leistico has seen a, a lot of NHL hockey in his lifetime. Chad, this will be my second time seeing NHL players skate on the ice. Went up one time to Minnesota with my son. You had a doubt tonight to uh, to watch this game? Oh, probably not, but uh, I'll okay. let you guys enjoy that. Yeah, and, uh, preseason hockey does nothing for you. No. Huh? You've seen the real deal. <laughs> Spent time at uh, at Soldier Field over the weekend at the Bears also, but I'm su- assuming the highlight of the weekend was Kinnick Stadium, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> Mark Emmert also with us here for this first segment. Mark, I feel, and our listeners are going to kill us for this, we're going to have to kick Uh-oh. you... Yeah, we're going to kick you out for the second segment when we talk to special teams coach LeVar Woods. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's really something. That hurts. You got to come to Des Moines to to get on full-time here, Mark. Yeah, okay. I think I'm supposed to say don't at me because I'm <laughs> sure the, the Twitterverse is going to be upset with this. But that's all right. We get you here until uh, 6 o'clock, and then we'll grab on to you again to kind of preview Wisconsin. That's where we will focus our third segment, as a, again, from maybe about 6.30 to 6.45, leading up to the Wild. But let's start with, uh, with with what's been happening here. I guess maybe start with Saturday, right, Chad? And that 38-14 win over you and I felt like it checked a lot of the boxes that we were all hoping it would check off. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly what I wrote in my column. I think, uh, you know, you look at everyone says, oh, yeah, but it was you and I. Well, still, Iowa gains 545 yards. Uh, of offense, um, and that's the most of the Brian Ferentz era. Uh, that's whether no matter who was against, it was good to see that for the Hawkeyes. And what I liked when I rewatched the game uh, is just the variety um, of plays. You, you saw some jet sweeps. You saw the wide receiver screen kind of make a comeback. You saw some tempo in the game. Uh, a lot of new little wrinkles, and then obviously. The big two things are they got Noah Fant involved and Nick Easley involved, and those two guys really hadn't done much in the first two weeks. So I kind of took away that as uh, as kind of the best parts of Saturday's win. Not Mark, to mention the three and zero yeah Mark, completion within that passing game. I think there are three things that you can kind of hang your hat on here, and I wonder which of these you maybe are most impressed with, or which you think says the most about the the future of this offense. One is you get ten catches from Nick Easley. The other is you finally connect up top and make some big plays with Noah Fant. And the third one is they connected passes to have what how many receivers, how many different guys caught balls, Chad? It was something like was it was it thirteen? I got ten on my list. Okay. All right. I uh, thought I heard Gary say thirteen at the end well, in the post game. You got well, a round down. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> sorry about that. Either way, Mark, can, you can complete to ten different receivers or ten different targets. You finally yeah, show that you've got a thirteen. They don't have. I, I wondered. I thought, God, he got to get in the teens. He may have said sixteen. I'm not. Anyway, it, it was uh, a lot. It was a lot. Is it is it better that yeah. you you find a lot of targets? Is it better that you found a consistent target like a Nick Easy where you get to throw the ball to ten times, ten catches, or that big dynamic target like Noah Fant? Yeah, I think the, the latter two for sure. I thought, uh, especially I'm writing about Nick Easy for tomorrow's paper. I thought, just thinking about that game again just how many catches he had that were really, really big at the time to keep drives alive. I mean, I think he had six catches in the first half and five of them picked up first downs. Um, I thought they really needed to get him involved after the first two weeks when he wasn't doing much of anything. I thought that was a big difference in the offense was how he was able to be kind of that that go-to guy whenever Stanley needed him. Those guys had a good connection all game long. They talked about that both in the post game. And you, I mean, after a while, you were kind of wondering if it was going to happen this year. I mean, I know it was only two weeks, but one catch for your leading receiver for two weeks was kind of a red flag, and I think they answered that. Uh, he's he is a really good player, and they're going to need him for sure this week because he only had two catches up there last year in Madison. So I, I look pretty easily to be a much bigger part of the offense going forward, and especially this week. All right, Chad. So have we touched on this already? What was the best thing that happened in Iowa's thirty-eight fourteen win? Yeah, I think we did, but uh, the, I guess the, just the, on the... the offensive output, you'd say. Yeah. Okay. I think the defensive side of the ball is, is you saw more of the same. Yep. Um, now, they, now, they did give up uh, a couple late touchdowns, and a lot of the first teamers were on the field. And now, when I re examined the game, you know, four key guys were out for the bulk of those two drives the two starting defensive ends, Anthony Nelson and Parker Hesse, and then the two safeties, um, Jake Gervas and Money Hooker, were not on for the last drive. So, 
Um, and then they were mixing in other linebackers too. But the, they had the starting corners out there, and um, you know, starting caliber. I mean, Epinesa was out there. I mean, those guys really took it personally that they they lost the shutout. That was the first uh, touchdown that the first team defense had given up all year. So it's funny. I, I ran into one of the Iowa assistants after the game, right after the game. And uh, I was like, hey, you know, nice win or whatever. And uh, he was not happy, not happy about giving up those <laughs> points late. So just shaking his head. So um, it kind of tells you that this defense, you know, they, they're they always looking for something to, to build on, I guess. Yeah, um, I, and, and I, I did think that when we did our kind of third quarter uh, Facebook Live for sound off, I did say, hey, this is something to keep an eye on here. That you know, this defense wants to have a shutout. You know, this coaching staff wants to pitch a shutout. So, I I did think that there was probably a little bit of pressure on that sideline to keep that number up. And I'm I'm kind of glad to hear that that's the response. I kind of was too, actually. Yeah, yeah, you can't come away from a 38-14 game and just go, man, we're the greatest. <laughs> Bring on Wisconsin. We'll get to Wisconsin. That was really the the tempo or the 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 tone of sound off. Yeah, even I, people I that were leaving the UNI game, the the their tone was, "What about Wisconsin?" And we'll maybe get to at some point what happened to the Big Ten and specifically the Big Ten West uh, on Saturday. But Mark, you kind of mentioned something earlier. I think I'd like to touch on and just about maybe some things that we've learned about this Hawkeye team, and that seems to be a conversation that we had on Monday night with Sage and Chuck also about, you know, like maybe you have to temper some of this because of the the. The competition you've played, Iowa State looks like a pretty good football team right now. But coming off this UNI game, what do you think we have learned about Iowa here in this three and zero start? Yeah, I mean, my biggest takeaway is that the uh, the linebackers are not the weakness or the question mark we thought they would be. I really think they've played well and they found a, a unit they like there. Um, you know, actually three or four guys, maybe even five that they could play. And so I think that's the uh, I think Chad wrote about this too. But when you look back at 2014 when they were trying to replace three linebackers. This has been a much, much uh, easier transition, and it looks more like the Iowa defense that we've kind of come to expect over the years with those three guys in there. So I think, to me, that's the biggest takeaway of the first three weeks. All right, Chad, I want to jump in right here and maybe just go right back to you, Mark. If that, What about the cornerbacks? I felt like they were a little bit of a, of a question mark, and I thought that they've, mm-hmm. I feel like they've played really well. Do you put them in that same conversation? Yeah, sort of. They weren't as big of a question mark to me, personally. Okay. But I, I did expect them to be pretty good. But yeah, I think they've played they played very well, maybe even better than I thought. And it's actually kind of interesting what Chad just pointed out is that they they really are going to ride those two guys, and we may not see a third or fourth cornerback most games. They may just use those two guys, and uh, and I thought they had some depth there, but maybe they think they don't need that depth at cornerback, which is kind of interesting to me. All right, Chad, let's weigh, let you weigh in on on cornerbacks and linebackers. Yeah, I'm, uh, the the back seven has been really good. Uh, this week they'll be tested, obviously. Um, those linebackers again will be very, very much tested. Um, but what we've learned, I think, is Iowa has more depth than I thought. You look at the offensive line; they've actually um, started seven different guys. And Dalton Ferguson has now played all, th- well, every line spot except left guard. He's played center, guard, and both tackles. Um, and you know they've got uh, Levi Paulson. I thought looked really good at right guard in his snaps there. Um, with Cole Banward out this week, those tackles look really good. And then you flip on the other side, yeah, those linebackers, five different starters. And even Kirk Ferentz said they feel good about Barrington Wade as the sixth. So they have a lot of flexibility there. It's not like it's not like it was a year ago where you had three guys and that's all you really got confidence in. And now they feel like Jimon Colbert could be a possibility back there, although I thought Christian Welch really looked good in his return. Obviously, Jack Hockaday has really taken over that role at middle. Still, you know, still concerned about Imani Jones' development a little bit. And made some mistakes the other night, um, but the, and then Nick Neiman, that line, the linebacker, uh, I don't think we've mentioned yet, but he's been maybe one of the best defensive players in the team. Just his ability to to cover receivers um, and allow them not to have to go nickel—that's a huge, huge advantage. All right, what did uh, we learn from Coach Ferentz? You, you got to talk to some of the players also yesterday, right? Yeah, um, I would say. Th- it was kind of a nondescript press conference, and we got a little cut-blocking talk. <laughs> yeah, I figured, um, figured you would. Uh, <laughs> you, let's, we, can we start there? Oh, yeah. Because that was yeah. something that we got this uh, this question on sound off, and I tried to kind of direct them back to a few of the things that you could find on Hawk Central where Coach Ferentz had sounded off on this before. 
But um, uh, so so where did Coach Ferentz pick up the conversation, or how did it get brought up? Well, he he just he likes to just bring it up out of nowhere. Is in the middle of an answer about Aaron Campman, you know, going on the ANF Wall of Fame, <laughs> and just oh, by the way, we got screwed on uh, Levi Paulson's cut block. Which, if you look at the film, I don't, they really did. I mean, it was a really bad. Well, call. I saw you send out a tweet because when I saw the replay of it, Chad, and just in the game, I thought, well, yeah, that's exactly what they've been describing, and that's. But when I I saw your breakdown on Twitter that said there's a few of the. Uh, qualifiers that have to be in place here that weren't. Yeah, everything, everything about it was a legal block based on what I saw. You have to be uh, so. The, for those that don't know, the low block, the new low block rule is you can't block more than five yards downfield past the line of scrimmage, mm-hmm. and it has to be done within the tackle box um, when the and the ball has to be in the tackle box at the same time. In other words, okay. so um, and then uh, and then the the other requirement is the defender can't be like at an angle. And they call it ten and two position. So like you know you hold your hands up for a steering wheel, kind of in that um, angle. So so as I put in my uh, DVR Monday comment, you're asking these officials to be geometry experts. You're asking them to see two different places at once. They have to know where the ball if the ball's inside the tackle box. They have to calculate if the guy's within five yards of line of scrimmage and it's just as Ferentz said it, it really is an impossible thing to ask of these guys and mm. in addition to the, everything else flying around looking for holding all that other stuff in this case it was a hundred percent legal block and and i'm still perplexed why it was called and i'm sure coach Ferentz he said, was too yeah exactly <laughs> did he use perplexed uh, he said it was a. It's another out of body experience <laughs> to, that this is happening again. Uh, Mark, what did you take away from yesterday? Actually, uh, I was kind of impressed with. Uh, it was kind of like a business as usual for all the guys. They talk about it's just another game. We want to be four and zero, but then there was a couple of guys that actually kind of admitted that you know what, this game is a little bit more important maybe than than what we're trying to let on. They were trying to play it cool, but then uh, like Eli Paulson and a couple other guys would actually say, you know what, this is actually. But we all know it's a really big game. I mean, it's the big game of the year. They won't say that, but this game is bigger than most, and uh, you can tell this game means a lot more to them than maybe last week's game. They would never say that, but it does, and it should. And uh, you can tell that they're still thinking about last year. That still upsets them how poorly they played last year. They know exactly what opportunities are in front of them, and uh, and I, I was just kind of encouraged here. At least a couple guys admit that because we all know yeah. it's true. Outside of Paulson, who who else? Yeah, who else mentioned that? Uh, I, one well, thing. I think, Go ahead, Mark. Gervas did, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the guy, the Gervas said we weren't ready to go last year. Mm-hmm. Keegan Render said it was like we were sleepwalking out there, and we weren't mentally ready. So uh, those are pretty two strong statements. Um, yeah. You know, to pretty much admit. I mean, this was the week after the Ohio State game. You can kind of understand. Going from that level of euphoria to um, maybe the letdown they had, because that was kind of like a season-defining win in a way, or season yeah, memorable. Absolutely, you can understand how they would come down off that, but they realized they weren't mentally ready to go in that game. Okay, so um, definitely a recognition of the importance of this. Is one it Torin Young that's from that area? He's from Madison. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Nate Stanley's from Wisconsin. Yeah, Christian Welch is from Wisconsin. So see, I was hoping to hear Max some of, Cooper. I was hoping to hear some of those names come out of Mark Emmert's uh, mouth there. That maybe those were the well, guys that were saying. Most of those guys we didn't talk to actually. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, all right. We didn't e- talk to Max Cooper or Christian Welch yesterday. So, all right, some injuries because I know last time we talked, obviously we were talking about Ivory Kelly Martin, Amir Smith, Marset. Mark, where are we with Iowa injuries? And uh, did, Wisconsin's got uh, uh, had some some. Yeah. important losses last week also. So where's, where are we with injuries? Right. Well, it looks like uh, Corinna Kirk Ferentz, all three of those guys that were injured last week, Fionn uh, Work, uh, Smith, Marset, and Kelly Martin, practiced this week and uh, pretty extensively. He seemed pretty optimistic that they're all going to have a chance to play, which obviously is a huge boost for Iowa, especially the two skill position guys going into this game. Wisconsin, obviously their biggest uh, loss would possibly be Andrew Van Ginkle, a linebacker who's on the bucket list uh, coming into the season. He's questionable. He got dinged up against BYU. Didn't play, I think, most of the second half. So that, that's probably one to keep an eye on. Actually, they've got two tight ends on the injury report, too. They actually have an injury report up there. It was interesting. So they've got uh, one tight end that's out and one that's questionable. So there's a few guys up there that are, that are uh, maybe not going to play for them, which obviously would uh, be an advantage for Iowa, especially that linebacker. though. He's the big one. All right. 
Uh, Chad, you kind of talked about how these Iowa players have uh, mentioned that they kind of know there's something different at stake here. We know there's a lot at stake here. Yeah. You, you kind of wanted to talk a little bit about the history of this matchup, too. Yeah, the uh, and we'll set up a lot of this in the in the third segment after Coach Woods comes on. But uh, it's uh, Keegan Render had a great quote. He said, "You know, this is it's not debatable. Uh, Wisconsin is the the team to beat if we want to be, win a Big Ten championship." So that was another pretty good statement there. And since they divided East West, the winner of this game has won the Big Ten West every year, all four years. So um, I mean, right there, that tells you um, how important this matchup is. <laughs> The winner of this game wins the Big Ten West typically, and we've, I think we've been over this before on this show, but it's worth re-mentioning. If Iowa w- loses this game, you're going to have to ask Iowa to either to finish 8-0 and have Wisconsin lose twice in the Big Ten to win the West. It just That's just not a realistic no. scenario. And, and it's, even if you go 7-1, and one, then you need Wisconsin to lose three times if you want to win the West. So reverse that if you win this. You can almost afford two losses because Wisconsin's got to play at Michigan, at Penn State. Got some other tough ones in there, but those are the two biggies. So maybe you can afford a loss or two and still get the Big Ten West title. So no, that's not chancing. Totally, yeah, right. <laughs> right <laughs> Twelve and zero is fine. Way yeah. too much there, right? And Chad, maybe something. And I'm not sure if you want to touch on this in the third segment right now, but you went back and looked at last year's game. What happened there? Well, and this is what I do want to bring this up with Coach Woods, too, because I think a lot of people remember that as a bloodbath. And it kind of was in some ways. Iowa gained 66 yards, so lowest of the Ferentz era. So that's what we remember. We remember Iowa didn't score a single point offensively. Um, but the Hawks were ahead 7-3, to late first quarter, playing a pretty you know, bare-knuckles game, winning the fight on defense, a punt, from Wisconsin, gets past the punt returner. I believe it was Vandenberg. Rolls all the way back to, oh, it was deep. I can't remember where it was. But it went back inside the 10, I believe. Iowa ends up a short punt. Wisconsin then, short field, touchdown. You get the drift. It was that punt exchange where Iowa, I think they may have lost close to 25 or 30 yards by letting it bounce past. And it was still 17-14 to 14 in the third quarter. Another Josh Jackson pick six. And I had a ball go off Noah Fant's hands, a deep ball. Not a couple, might have been one or two snaps later. A snap goes the other way for a touchdown. Bad snap by James Daniels. So Snowball. I have a feeling. Snowball, yeah. I have a feeling LeVar Woods will have something to say about uh, punt returns. All right. Well, what we'll do is we'll uh, cut off Mark Emmert. Mark, you sit by your phone patiently, if that's okay, with bated breath. We'll call you here in about 20 minutes or so, and we'll get more Iowa Wisconsin preview with you at that time, if that's okay. All right, man. We'll talk to you. Talk to you soon, Mark Emmert from the Des Moines Register. We'll uh, we'll shut off with Mark, and pretty soon, Lavar Woods, uh, been with this Iowa coaching staff for a little while. Used to be a tight ends coach, now helping out with special teams. Next here on fourteen sixty KXNO. Let's go in depth on Hawkeye sports with the Des Moines Register. It's time for Hawk Central, powered by G Mig's Fifth Street Pub on fourteen sixty KXNO. Rolling along again with Hawk Central here on 1460 KXNO. Mark Emmer will be joining us again here in about 15, 20 minutes. We're going to spend that time with uh, a guy that we've been lucky enough to be joined by a few times here. He's always fun to chat with Coach LeVar Woods. Coach, thanks for giving us time here on Wednesday. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and Chad was uh, pointing this out. Last time we talked to you, you were sweating in the heat looking for directions down in Texas. Uh, probably feels a lot better back at home here. It, it definitely does. It's a lot, uh, lot cooler today than it was last time I spoke with you. Yeah, I think we and we do. You do understand, Coach. We're a little concerned here as Hawkeye fans. Uh, we're three games in. We've seen no fake punts. We've seen no throws to AJ Epinesa. No polecat. What's going on, man? Did, did they hide the trick playbook from you? You know, we, uh, they have not hid it from me. Okay. Um, but the you know it hasn't been something that we've that's been high on our priority. We're just trying to get better. At some of the basic things we do, and and uh, you know we've got a lot of work cut out for us, and so we're just been working on those things right now. Fans are so excited about AJ Epinesa and his potential. When I do the post game call in show, I've joked with Chad that I'm waiting for them to say that we should just snap the ball to AJ. Are you already putting that in the game plan so you can uh, you can move that ahead of the callers? You know, um, 
I, if I told you that, I'd have to kill you. Like, <laughs> both you guys, I don't want to do that. Uh, yeah, getting into nitty gritty here, Coach. Uh, we'll say the the punt game um, seems to be much much better than a year ago. Uh, uh, vastly improved, at least through three weeks. Um, what do you kind of like about what Colton Rastetter's been doing? Obviously, um, he must have done something in the offseason, you know, after what was, I think he would admit, kind of a rough 2017. Sure. You know, I think Colton will be the first to, to tell you that, um, you know, it was a rough year for him last year. And I think, uh, you know, Colton was humbled a little bit uh, in what, in how things went down for him and how he performed. And um, I think he's taken a really a workmanlike approach. Both uh, he and Ryan Gersande have both done that this this entire off season and through the spring and into the into camp. Um, you know, I think they both have worked incredibly hard, and I think they both have a, a bright future. And um, you know, right now we're just trying to focus on getting better every day. There's still some things that we feel like we we've, we've left out on the field um, in a couple of games that we played. Obviously, the first punt of the year got blocked, uh, which we mm-hmm. we're not real excited about. Um, myself included. Didn't and draw that up. Yeah, did not draw that up. Uh, <laughs> did not, and the, you know, shell shocked, shell shocked me a little bit. Yeah. Um, but the, but I think you know, like, as I mentioned, I think they both have taken, taken um, last year and used that as momentum and, and uh, propelled them forward. Man, yeah, that's, I, I kind of forgot that that was your first right. play as special full time special teams coordinator. So. Yeah, <laughs> that wasn't uh, much fun. No, no. Was what? there was there an instinct there, coach, to to, to panic a little bit? I mean, did you think, oh man, what have we, what did we do wrong, and what, what do I have to blow up here, or was it? Did, did I mean, walk us through that moment? Yeah, it uh, it was. There wasn't panic at all. It was we just wanted to find the problem and get a solution to it right away, and we and we did that and fixed it, and um, you know feel good about it. Um, you know, obviously that's that's something you're always working on in protection. There's no punt that's ever happened without protection first. Um, so that's you know that's been the the focal point. Um, but you know that's obviously a rough a rough start and rough way to to go first punt of the season. Not ideal. Did did Rastetter you know uh, do something different in the off season? Did he ch- did he change anything? You know, like I said, I think he's he's had a workman's like approach. I think his his attitude and his view on things has been different and um more so from the stand, from a mental standpoint. I know he spent a lot of time as all of our specialists do, um, you know, from the mental side of the game and I think he's really taken that to heart and how he prepares in his routine. I think it's paid some dividends for him. Um he's still not where he where he can be, um, not where he needs to be, but I think he's on the right track. Yeah, he seemed to have improved a lot from last year and obviously rebounded quickly from that blocked punt right away. So in, in a perfect world, Coach, obviously Colton Rassetter's uh, got that job right now. In a perfect world, are you allowed to redshirt Grisande this year? You know, that, that's not our mindset. Ryan okay. is ready to play in, at any time, and he does a good job in practice. And, you know, every every rep he gets is a is a good rep for, for him and for this football team. And, and that's the way both those guys have approached it. That's the way all the guys in our specialist room approach uh, the game and approach practice is that they're the next guy in. They're both they're all ready to go whenever their number's called. Um, you know, and that's the way the way I like it. I want it to be competitive, and I want to be able to count on anyone that goes in the game. Is that, you never know when your number's going to be called. Is that ever a conversation you have, Coach? I mean, I, I, you've coached a couple different positions here, yeah. and so at any point in the season, do you kind of sit a guy down and go, "Look, man, there's a benefit." To us, not you know. I want you to stay competitive, and you got to stay sharp. But if your number's not called, I want you to see the silver lining. Do you ever have that conversation? You know, I think in coaching other positions, it, it has come up. Um, you know, other positions, being linebacker or tight end, it's come up. Uh, but you know, the, as soon as you take the claws off a guy at that at that time, a lot of guys tend to to back off, and I don't want that. Um, I want our guys to be competitive. I want them to visualize themselves being in the game and. And putting themselves in a position to to be ready to go in the game, so that if something happens where hey we want we want you to go in, we call on you that you can go in and execute and perform. So uh, good going to the place kicking here. Um, as you look at Miguel Racinos, he's actually already got more missed field goals um, at four for seven than he did all of last year when he was eleven of thirteen. Is there do you see any issue there? I don't. I think you know Miguel will tell you right away that he can tell you right now each kick, each each hash mark, <laughs> each you know. Um, each uh, distance on the field goal, where he missed and why he missed, and you know the stuff that he works on. You know, I think I think there's a lot of. Um, I think when you go out there in, in front of 
it, right now it's all been in Kinnick in front of 70,000 people uh, and try to perform uh, to do something to do something like kicking or punting or anything that, that specialized, there's there's a lot that goes into it and a lot more than people think. You know, the the general thought is, mm-hmm. oh, it's just a kick or oh, it's just a punt, no big deal. Well, there's a lot that goes into it. There's a lot behind the scenes. And, um, you know, these guys work incredibly hard. Um, they don't hit people, but they swing their leg a lot. And they, you know, they think about things a lot and they play different factors, the wind, the turf, the spot, all, all that kind of stuff that, that factors into into either making or missing a kick. And I think if you ask Miguel uh, right now, like I said, he could tell you exactly why he missed which field goal when and and uh, trace it back. And he works on it incredibly diligently. And, you know, he'll try to perform, perform and do better next time. Coach, walk us through some of the layers of that. I've got something specific for, specific for you. So you've got Racinos, Duncan, and Shudak, all three guys that have strong legs on them. When it comes time to decide who's doing kickoffs, how much strategy is there that goes into that? Because, I mean, you know, some dummies like me would think you just line the three guys up, see who kicks at the farthest, and that's your guy. Sure. There's a lot um, to, what, to what we do involved in the placement of the kick. Uh, you know, I think the general rule, anyone will tell you that it's easier to cover a third of the field than it is to cover the entire field. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of times you're looking at placement, you know, into one corner or the other corner um, so that your coverage unit doesn't have to defend the whole field. Uh, but there's there's definitely that. There's also hang time and distance that goes into it too. Everyone likes you know a long kick, but we want a long kick with good hang time um, okay. to try to help negate a return. Um, that's what we're that's what we're typically thinking about. And you know the other thing um, that I think these guys all work on every day are some of their specialty kicks, you know, onside kick, uh, mortar kicks, things like that. That um, that they're all trying to perform and, and do better at. Let alone just a, a deep kick. Okay, that seems like there's a few actual tangible things that you can you can look at for as a coach as far as kickoffs. Now, as far as kick returns and more specifically punt returns, sure. from the the Northern Illinois game, Kyle Gronaweg looks like something special. He looks like he's ready to break a big one every time he touches the ball. And so, first of all, what did you see that kind of showed that? What has he kind of done to embrace that role? How often do you guys take live punt reps in practice? I'm kind of curious about the the punt return game too. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting you bring that up. You know, I've I've known Kyle. You know, we grew up in the same area, and mm-hmm. and what I've known him uh, a long time. But I think I think you're right. It, it's good to hear you say that you get excited when he goes back there because I do too. And um, I think we've got ten other guys that are working hard. I think they see a guy back there that they're confident in, and that they're working hard to try to spring him and get him in the in the open field. Um, the the other things about Kyle, I think you know he's he's got sort of the it factor, if you will, where he's confident back there, he's comfortable fielding the ball. He's worked incredibly hard since the day he got here when he knew he was redshirting last year and he's ineligible. Um, every single day out there, pre-practice, during practice, fielding fielding any punt he can to get comfortable back there, and you know he'll take some chances. And um, we need to do a better job with the rest of the ten of other guys blocking for him. Um, and doing it legally, we're not getting penalties uh, to give this guy a chance to to make some big returns. Because I think he can help us. I think he's a weapon for us. It's uh, interesting. And, 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 Go ahead. He's not the only one either. You know, there are other guys that that have done it for us, and that that we feel like can do it. He's the one that's back there right now. As you bring up the punt returns, uh, Ross and I were, and Mark Emmert were having a conversation in our first segment about as you look back at this Iowa Wisconsin game a year ago. There was a 59-yard punt and a 62-yard punt in the first half of that game uh, that were not caught, and uh, those both turned. You guys, into you guys didn't like that either. <laughs> <laughs> Just noticed it. Uh, <laughs> uh, those turned into Wisconsin TDs. So um, I guess uh, it, when you look at this particular matchup, uh, I looked at the numbers, and Wisconsin's punter has five of his nine kicks inside the 20, and the Badgers have allowed just six punt return yards this year. So uh, number one. Seems like Gronenweg's more confident to maybe pick up those punts. And number two, how, is there a way you can kind of coach against? You know, is it a, confident a, a, or crazy? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, a lot of it comes down. The name of the game of special teams is field position. That, that's yeah. point blank and period. It's all about field position, and it's all trying to give your offense or your defense the best possible field position. Wisconsin is incredibly good at what they do in in every phase. Um, they're very proficient at it, and they they have some players that are incredibly incredibly good and take pride in what they do. Uh, so do we, and you know we feel good about the guys uh, how they've worked all week. We feel good about um, 
you know some of the some of the matchups that that we have and how how uh, our guys have have worked and trained not only this week but leading up to this week and um, you know feel good about that going into the game and you brought it up about field position and I think that's obviously always a, a critical a critical um, piece to every game and, and playing good sound team football which we like to do here at Iowa and that's something that Coach Ferentz has preached for as long as 20 years that I've known him, it's about playing team football, not just one phase or the other phase or offense, defense, one player, two players, it's the entire team. And that's what we try to focus on, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to play complementary football um, from special teams units and and try to help our team with field position. All right, in a game like this, Coach, it does seem like special teams several times has, has been a big factor. What do you see as the biggest thing your units can do against the Badgers? Again, you know, field position, point blank and period, mm-hmm. uh, is, you know, put our teams in great, the offense and the defense in great position for field position. And obviously we've got to make kicks when, when our number's called in the field goal area. And, um, you know, like I said, as much field position as possible. These guys are incredibly good at what they do. Um, you know, I'm talking about their entire team, but when you look at their their special teams in general at Wisconsin, they're very good. You're coaching. You've got to match that intensity and, and yeah. exceed it. Uh, you were coaching the tight ends a year ago um, in that game in Madison when, you, when Iowa gained yeah. 66 yards. Uh, Vance, no catches. Hawkinson, one catch, six yards. When you guys reevaluated that, reevaluated that game as a staff, what was maybe the biggest th- thing you realized you could you could go out and fix next time around? You know, uh, I haven't sat in an offensive meeting in a, in quite a while. Uh, you know, I know those guys are working incredibly hard putting together a game plan for this week. I think coming out of the game. Last year, um, we did feel like if we could get Fance a couple more touches or or Hawkinson a couple touches, that that would that would help us. You know, that's probably the biggest thing that I recall from a year ago mm-hmm. uh, in that game. But I can't, I don't know enough to speak on it right now because I don't sit in those meetings anymore. Levi Paulson I've been watching punt return all day. <laughs> yeah, right, Chad has hey. too. If you haven't noticed, yeah, I guess. <laughs> Levi Paulson said in an interview yesterday that. Coach Ferentz was emotional in Sunday night meetings about the Wisconsin game. Can you just kind of give us a sense of the focus in the building this week? Yeah, I think I think it's not only this week. I think Coach has been in that mindset the entire year, and that's that's what makes Coach Ferentz special. That's what makes him great. That it's you know the the lay person that's not around Coach on a daily basis sometimes doesn't see that, but the kids that are around here and around him all the time they know they know what it means when Coach gets emotional or that. Or when there's a crack in his voice, they know what it means, and um, I think that's something that our team feeds off of, and you know something that I, I recall 20 years ago as a player, and you know now get to see it as, as a coach, and I think it's a big piece of what makes him successful. All right, how, need, how he connects with this team and how the team responds to him. I need to rely on that that kind of long-term Hawkeye perspective that you've got, Coach, because the camera has caught Coach Ferentz. I think in each one of these first three wins towards the end of the game. Looking a little emotional, and we've never really seen that from Coach. Is it, it? Have you noticed that? Have the has, has it, have the emotions been a little bit more at the surface with Coach here recently? You know, um, I've noticed it from him, but I think that's just who he is. You know, he, he's a guy that works incredibly hard. He's incredibly proud of of the guys on this team and how they work. And uh, you know, I think when you look at our team, that we're a guy, we're a group of guys that that. Um, that tend not to give up and that we work really hard and try to fight and win every game we can. And I think when you're in this long enough, you realize how hard wins are to come by. So when at the end of the game, when, you know, everything that you put in through the entire week in your game plan, your practice, and you see it come to fruition, not always the easiest or the cleanest, um, but you still are able to come out with a win. I think it's a lot of emotions get let out. And I think there's, you know, around this program, there's a great sense of pride in, in how we do things around here. And and how you know we um, we we try to do things together from a team standpoint and a team football, and I think at the end of the day, when in the, at the end of the game, those emotions tend to come out, and that's what makes that's what makes Iowa special. That's what makes Coach Ferentz special. You feel that sense of pride a little bit when you see the the, the production that Fant and Hawkinson have had these first couple of weeks. You're you're a big part of that. It would seem like. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm very happy for for all those guys. You know, they're they're great young men to start, and then they've been. Uh, you know, been productive and helped their team. And so it's fun to watch those guys grow and mature. Coach, thanks so much for giving us time on game weeks. This is uh, means a lot it. to us. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you guys very much and appreciate uh, your interest. 
You bet. And, and I appreciate your interest in special teams. Go get it. Well, we, we <laughs> had to, avid this special is, teams. This is why opponents. we had to cut Mark Emmert off because he would have <laughs> he would have just dominated this conversation. <laughs> wanted to hog all your time with us, so I, we re- really appreciate it, Coach. Go get him at uh, in Wisconsin or get, in Kinnick Stadium against Wisconsin on Saturday. All right. Hey, thank you very much. Please give my best to Mark. Yeah, you bet, we'll Coach. Do. We'll do that, man. That'll mean the world to Emmert. Holy cow! Coach Lavar Woods just said hi to Mark Emmert. That's going to mean everything to him. All right, Mark going to join us here when we get back. We'll have about, uh, oh, man, almost 20 minutes or so. We'll get to break down this Iowa-Wisconsin matchup that's coming up Saturday night. Huge matchup. We'll talk about I touched on it there. I think we got a little bit of coach speak towards the end of that. Oh, yeah, it's always big week. It's always game week. You got a little bit of a different feel when you were talking to the players yesterday. Seemed like Mark did also. We'll get Mark Emmert back on. We'll roll along with Hawk Central. Lead Jeff to pregame for NHL hockey tonight here on 1460 KXNO. Everything you need to know about the Hawkeyes, it's Hawk Central with the Des Moines Register, powered by G-Mix Fifth Street Pub on 1460 KXNO. Man, I never noticed how much that builds us up. Everything you need to know about the Hawkeyes? Well, not everything you hurry. want to know. Everything you need to know, I we can live up to that one. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Let's I'm do all, it. I'm all about managing expectations, Mark. I felt like that one might have got out of hand for just a moment there. But uh, welcome back to the program, man. Sorry I didn't get a, to be a chance with the, of the LeVar Woods uh, interview there. Yeah, I'm hurt, but that's all right. I, I can't wait to hear it. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll get it to you, and it'll be out on the podcast here shortly. And uh, obviously, Mark will be, uh, you know, not only combing through that, but I'm sure he'll get a piece out about he'll something listen to it at twice. LeVar, yeah, at Levar Woods three times said during maybe. that. Sure. Uh, anything that jumped yeah. out at you, Chad, that uh, from the Levar Woods interview? Uh, Kyle Gronaweg having the it factor. I think that yeah. confirms kind of some of the stuff that we've uh, noticed on the field. I, I still think he's going to break one this year. He basically did the other day, but Amani Jones held, you know. 45 yards away from the ball mm-hmm. and brought that one back. So, uh, And then the stuff about Kirk Ferentz being um, a little more emotional, I think, especially this week. Mark uh, had talked to Levi Paulson yesterday and, and picked up on that. Mark, that's, uh, you know, I thought uh, a little crackle in Ferentz's voice, Sunday night meetings, maybe, t- maybe tell our listeners um, what you heard there. That's interesting, yeah, because, yeah, Levi Paulson was talking about it uh, Again, we asked about how – you know, with this game is any bigger than any other week. And he said, yeah, actually, our first meeting Sunday night, he said, Kirk, Co- Coach Ferentz got a little emotional. And I said, I had to clarify, you mean Kirk Ferentz or Brian Ferentz? He said, no, Kirk, Kirk Ferentz. <laughs> but he was already, he could, he could tell how much this game meant to him. And uh, and he said, that actually gives me a little extra juice when I'm going out to practice because I know that my coach is uh, expecting a lot out of us this week. And uh, it was just kind of interesting to hear him say that, that Kirk Ferentz actually got emotional on Sunday evening in front of the team about this game. Mark, the one thing that I took away from the interview that I think that you will find most interesting, um, he did not rule out, in fact, alluded to the possibility of straight snapping the ball right to A.J. Epinesa. When I asked him about it, he said, if we were planning on it, I'd have to kill you if I told you about it. So I I took that to mean they're working on it. He just couldn't say yes. And punt formation or field goal? I think just second down. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's not a special teams issue. Well, it's going to be a special play. Just let, that's that's we'll we'll leave right. it at, we'll leave it at that. All right. So that's can't wait to write about it. Yeah. Right. All right. When uh, when BYU was uh, was yeah. beating Wisconsin, were you watching that game, Chad? Yeah, it was on in the press box. Yep. I, I watched that game. I almost think I should go back and watch it a second time because I was so. I don't even, I was unimpressed with Wisconsin. I was going to say I was so impressed with BYU, but that wasn't the case. I was unimpressed with Wisconsin. Do you have that same same take? Yeah, I think uh, I think that's dangerous to to say that about a team that still almost gained 400 yards. But at the same time, I think we have uh, put Wisconsin on such a pedestal this whole off season, including myself. I picked them to that's win the good. Big Ten. I'm not uh, not backing down from that. But uh, uh, yeah, they were pedestrian in a lot of ways and i think uh the narrative this week going in from their perspective is we already know they're a good team but are they just a good team you know because i think we all thought they were going to be a great team this yeah. year so i'm sure they're coming into kinnick stadium with a little bit of fire in their bellies a little chip on their shoulder which is kind of dangerous too for the hawkeyes mark but, it was interesting as that game was unfolding saturday early afternoon I saw Andrew Downs on uh, kind of a, a Twitter spat with some folks 
There was there was oh, boy. oh yeah, you know Twitter. It's amazing. Uh, the, the, there were some folks that were saying, "Hey, we don't want Wisconsin to lose this game because they're going to right. be, you know, they're going to be there's going to be an extra fire in their belly." What as you know, yeah. three minutes left in that game. You, you think there's validity to that? In, in Hawkeyes fans, absolutely. I think there is. I think uh, I would feel much better if I was coming in here three and zero, ranked you know fifth in the nation, feeling really good about themselves. I think uh, I absolutely agree with that. That. Wow. Uh, it probably doesn't help Iowa's cause if this team, uh, you know, is going to have a little bit of extra motivation now for this game. Now, it also is possible that they just got exposed on Saturday, and they're not, they're not as good as we thought they were anyway, like Chad says. But I think, all in all, you'd rather have them undefeated coming in here. See, also, it would be a much bigger game nationally. You might have got game day here. Yeah. You know, this, this game kind of lost some of its luster nationally because of that loss. No doubt about the national perspective, but on an individual basis, I much rather would have a team – Maybe with a little bit of doubt, you know, I'd, I'd rather have them uh, watching film this week. They're seeing a better team in Iowa, especially on the lines, than mm-hmm. what they saw last week when they were watching BYU, and they got beat by that team. So I, I like the idea that when these guys are lining up for practice today, they're knowing BYU just beat them, and they've got to go into a hostile environment and try to play a team that's much better than BYU. So that was that was my take on it. And I figured by the time the fourth quarter comes around, they're already going to be full of, of vinegar. <laughs> you know, they, whether they win or lose this game, they're going to be mad when they come to Kinnick Stadium and feel like they've got something to prove. You're absolutely right about it affecting it uh, on that national perspective. All right, let's start to, to, to break down this matchup. You want to do this, Chad? You guys ready? Mm-hmm. All right. How did... You you kind of studied that game. How did BYU win that game? Yeah, uh, great question. Um, they did it with. Uh, I talked to Keegan Render a little bit yesterday. He was absolutely the best interviewer of the day. Uh, he talked about how uh, they ran a lot of pre snap motion, and and when I rewatched um, that game, uh, absolutely true. They ran a lot of fake jet sweep type stuff. They ran, uh, you know, guys out of the box, and and a linebacker may or may not follow them. And they were able to actually run pretty well up the middle. Um, they rushed for 191 yards on 28 carries, so almost seven per carry. <laughs> I mean, when you think about the Wisconsin defense, like how do you do that? It really was that motion when you when you watch those lineback those outside linebackers in that three four. If you can get them out of the box, all of a sudden you're playing five on five football with your you're with your five front linemen and and they're down three linemen and, and the two line inside linebackers. So. Uh, that's where I see an opportunity for Iowa um, to, to kind of gash them. The other things that BYU did really well, didn't turn it over, and only took one sack for minus two. Um, their quarterback was not a mobile quarterback. He didn't run, He didn't run, but he was able to just elude pressure enough to throw the ball away, mm-hmm. and I think that that's super important for Nate Stanley this week to not take those sacks because that really hurt them last year, him taking long sacks. Uh, holding on to the ball too long, he's just got to get rid of it and and, and save a save a, a really negative play. All right, Mark, let's talk about this when Iowa has the ball. Okay, so we we've seen inconsistent offensive play from the Hawkeyes, but watching Wisconsin on Saturday, I saw a team that was inconsistent defensively. Also, they've got a few holes. They look uh, they they don't have a lot of experience out there. Let's start up front. Iowa's offensive line. Seems like what I saw against a defensive line that couldn't get pressure against BYU, I think that the offensive line should have some success on Saturday. Yeah, uh, yeah, I was offensive line. I think maybe it's been the best part of their offense throughout the, through the three games, Agreed. like the most consistent mm-hmm. yep. and uh, deepest and probably the fewest question marks right there on that, about that unit. So I agree, and, and I, I agree with you, too, that Scott's defense was not nearly as good as I thought it was, was going to look. Uh, they had a lot of missed tackles. Now, I'm sure they're going to send some of that stuff up, but... Uh, that was the kind of the side of the ball that most surprised me about Wisconsin uh, on Saturday, last Saturday, was that the defense was not as good as I thought it was going to be. So uh, I agree that Iowa's offensive line is going to have an advantage in this game. So, Chad, I think maybe that leads to one of the things you were talking about, being able to run the ball up the middle mm-hmm. uh, between the tackles. Another place that I saw I, that the Hawkeyes should have an advantage, those tight ends are going to be a matchup nightmare all year long for everybody. This is not an exception. Those linebackers didn't look great against BYU. Yeah, and if if Van Ginkle is out, um, that's a that's a really I, I hadn't big even loss. thought of that. That's right. Um, at outside linebacker for Wisconsin, by the way, uh, he was Nick Easley's roommate at Iowa Western. I found out. So interesting little wow. side note there. Um, the yeah, I think uh, that's that's the advantage. We heard Levar Woods mention it um, in our interview that 
They would have liked to get TJ Hawkinson and Noah Fant the ball a little more. Last year, Fant had no catches against Wisconsin. None. And ha- Hawkinson had one? Hawkinson one for six. Wow. So, uh, that's got to be I mean, part of the that, game plan. That was ten percent of their or nine percent of their yards. So, <laughs> fair point. Uh, but obviously, you know, if, if you can get those guys involved, I think Iowa has the edge there uh, with those tight ends. And, and and the key is don't turn it over. Right, Mark. Out on the edge, I do worry a little bit. Wide receivers for Iowa yep. have not been dynamic in any way, and uh, I, you know, I don't think it takes. Um, NFL type defensive backs to maybe shut down or, <laughs> or or at least limit wide receiver production for the Hawks. Yeah, that's the biggest problem area certainly for Iowa in this game, in this matchup in particular, because uh, I do think Wisconsin's secondary is pretty good. And I mean, getting Chris Marset back will help if he yeah. is back, but uh, uh, they need more than just Nick Easley and I uh, to, to get that done. And, hmm. uh, otherwise, they can kind of you know play single coverage out there and maybe spend a little more time holding the box against Iowa. So. Uh, uh, I agree. Those, those wide receivers need to win that matchup for Hawkeyes to, to move the ball successfully, uh, you know, throughout the game. Uh, you know, it, it's an opportunity though for Iowa because Wisconsin's corners are sophomore freshmen. They're about as experienced as Iowa's corners. Uh, uh, I think people forget that uh, we all, uh, you know, trumpeted the fact that Wisconsin was bringing its whole offensive line back, its quarterback, its running back, but they only brought back four defensive starters. And if you're talking maybe another one's out this week, um, I don't know. I just think it's an opportunity for these receivers to to step up. I'm not saying it's a it's a advantage for Iowa, but I don't think it's a clear disadvantage. We'll get to predictions here in about five minutes, but I want one from you right now. What's Nate Stanley's completion percentage on Saturday? Hmm. 60. That's, that's that would be the number good. I had in my head. Yeah. All, right. All right, let's move, swap it here. Let's put Wisconsin on the ball. Uh, their offensive line, as you mentioned, Chad, and, we, and the, it's been a vaunted offensive line with a great running back. Everybody knows that. This defensive line for the Iowa Hawkeyes is as good as a lot of people can remember. That's going to be a, 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 a smashing matchup down there. That's the one I can't wait to watch the most, just to see is Iowa's defensive line for real. Interesting side note, um, A.J. Epinesa said that Northern Iowa offensive line is the best they've seen this year. So uh, that should tell you that this is going to be a major, major step up. Mm -hmm. Um, And so uh, we'll see. I've really liked Lattimore's play, a defensive tackle. Um, Him getting back into the rotation I think has helped a ton. And uh, as far as we know, those guys are healthy. And uh, Epinesa, Hesse, and and Nelson um, should be able to get to the quarterback a few times. Getting to the quarterbacks, one thing. Stopping Jonathan Taylor is another. Mark, uh, how how do you think the Hawkeyes go about this? What, what's the most important? Who's the most important guy in that Hawkeye defense to stop Jonathan Taylor? Well, probably Hawkeye. Yeah. Um, maybe Imani Hooker, but um, I mean, I, I do think mm-hmm. that they're going to have to stop, stop the run. That's what BYU did. I mean, Wisconsin's passing game is not impressive at all. Uh, so you can stack that box up and just basically concentrate on Taylor and take away, you know, two-thirds of their offense just by doing that, I think. I mean, they, they had a good success against Montgomery. Uh, you know, they're the same kind of player, the same offenses, but still it has to give them some confidence that if they concentrate on one guy and stopping him, they can do it. So I think uh, they have to really – I mean, he's the one guy that really should worry them, honestly, on the Wisconsin offense. Chad, just like you, Iowa State, right? Just a lot yeah. better offensive line. Yep. You had mentioned that back seven of that Hawkeye defense and how yeah. good it had played. It will have a tough matchup against some playmakers – how do you think that uh, that shakes out for the Hawks? Yeah, definitely telling. Um, I do like Iowa's safety play in this game compared to a year ago. Gervas uh, was not the player uh, at this point last year that he is now. And Miles Taylor started for Iowa last year at the other safety spot. Mm. Big, I thought a big factor in that game was Amani Hooker was not available. So uh, I do think Iowa um, has, has some more horses back there. Okay. How do you feel about Hornibrook? Uh, yeah, it's susceptible. I, I think this is a guy that uh, has not impressed me. I mean, he had a great bowl game, yeah. <laughs> threw two touchdowns to Iowa last year. Um, I know Mark has may have some thoughts on this too because you're doing a story on this for Saturday. Yeah, well, no, I, yeah, I agree. I think Hornibrook is. I, I've never been particularly impressed with him either. Uh, he's really as loose with the football, and especially his study. You got to consider how much time he gets back there because that offensive line is usually so good. He's got all day to back there to throw, and he can never seem to find guys consistently makes a lot of mistakes uh i, I think that uh you're right i think they can victimize him uh if they make him throw the ball and the other thing that they don't really have is dynamic wide receivers we talk about Iowa's wide receivers wisconsin aren't any better now their best guy is suspended right now 
But uh, if you watch that game against BYU, they never try to go downfield. Right. They're going to have to try to do that against Iowa. Obviously, they can't do that two weeks in a row. They must. I'm sure they're going to learn from that mistake. But they are just not dynamic at all on the edges of this offense. So that's another really big, uh, I think, advantage for Iowa. At the beginning of the season, when we did our game by game predictions, I thought this was going to be a ten and two season and i got i got chuckled at not just by the two of you but by some people outside of the office and uh, and and just listening to radio land and if i could go back and change it this is one of the games i would change i was unimpressed with wisconsin on both sides of the ball quite frankly against byu i'm hoping that my thought of that doubt creeping in and realizing that they're playing a better team than they than they faced and lost to last week will be enough the hawkeyes have talked about that emotion of this week, they realize what's at stake. I think the Hawkeyes win in an emotionally charged Kinnick Stadium Saturday night, 24-21. Hawkeyes go to 4-0, and we're looking at a special season with a, a game at Penn State, maybe the only other game where you're you're not favored to win. Chad, what do you think happened Saturday? Yeah, yeah. my offseason prediction, um, of course, was Wisconsin winning as well. Uh, that line has dropped from 10.5 preseason to 3 now, so you're definitely not alone in thinking this could be a... <laughs> A changed outcome, but uh, I'm going to stick with my original pick of Wisconsin winning. Uh, a little bit of history. I was facing some pretty tough history here, and I don't think Wisconsin, you know, is is average overnight. I think this is still a good ball club. Yeah, you're right. Listen to these stats. Wisconsin is 14 and one in true road games under Paul Christ. 14 and one in true road games. They've won 15 straight regular season Big Ten games. Jonathan Taylor has still averaging 171 yards rushing per game. That's a lot of that's a lot of stuff coming downhill at you, and if, I think Iowa has to play a perfect game to win it. I'm just not convinced that they're quite ready to do that yet. So I'm going to stick with my original prediction. Although I, interesting, I, it was 24-19 Wisconsin. I'm going to stick with that. Interestingly, I saw the Vegas over under is 43 and a half. So, <laughs> so uh, shows that uh, maybe I was on the ball there. So, All right, so Mark, you would notice that you're the tie. You're the tiebreaker, Mark. You had Wisconsin winning this in the preseason. Have you changed? Well, first of all, let me say I think it's unrealistic to expect that they're going to play two bad games in a row. Um, I, I think I would caution you about that a little bit, Ross. Yeah. Um, I don't. I think they'll be. I think they'll be a much better team coming in here than what they played last Saturday. You're right. However. For the first time in three years, I'm going to change a pick. Uh, just going to the feeling here. Uh, Kinnick at night. Uh, I do think Iowa is a much better team than I thought they might be. I think Wisconsin's not quite as good. I'm going Iowa 31 21. <laughs> 31. Wow. Amherst. Mark, I love that. Listen, and I, but I agree with you on that, your, your last two points there. Iowa is better right now than I thought I, I would feel that they were after three games. I feel like I've seen more. That defense is so much better than I anticipated it being, and I was unimpressed on Saturday. I did think that Wisconsin would make some adjustments and figure BYU out, and they just didn't. And the more I watched that game and watched the line play, I thought, man, this Hawkeye team can okay, can win that battle in the trenches, and that might be where this is won and lost. Historic ah. flip from Emmert. Historic. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're going to regret this one, Elias Ducole. I, I, you Mark my words, I hope, I hope. I won't be with you next week. I'll be up in Canada fishing. But let's uh, let's pray when I get back. We're talking about a 5-0 Hawkeye football team here on Hawk Central, 1460 KXNL.